This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is July 22nd, 2021. Today, ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance Investment Strategies, they seem to be everywhere. While we haven't quite arrived at the point where ESG investing is simply investing, the last year has brought greater focus on climate change and biodiversity, social issues, and the role of good corporate governance. Specifically, how companies that get their handling of these issues right have done better, have delivered for investors. And investors across the spectrum have noticed. ESG index has increased by over 40%, which has blown away any, any previous year's record for to see that kind of growth in any category whatsoever. That's Rick Redding, CEO of the Index Industry Association, speaking on this program last October. We had Rick on to discuss the IIA's annual Pulse of the Industry survey. To put that 40% number in context, Rick also told us that, usually, they see increases of about 2 to 5% in the number of a certain type of index year over year. So this drew their interest, you might say. Clearly, there was a lot going on and a lot of investor interest and a lot of asset manager interest in ESG for them to request that many new indexes. With that said, we decided you know, we should go out and talk to the asset managers who are primarily uh, the IAA's clients to make sure we fully understand what's driving ESG. We wanted to quantify uh, how large they thought the market would be and how, how much of their portfolios would be dedicated to ESG in the coming years. Because everyone talks about it, but no one really puts any puts any numbers to that. So in the ecosystem, if you think about it, there's kind of three main players. There are people that create the prices, the people that trade uh, every day in the marketplace that create the prices. There are the index providers and administrators who sit in the middle, and they're the ones who calculate the index and make changes to the index, provide the methodologies for the index, um, and do all that kind of work in that middle piece. And they they create some of their indexes do become the basis for products. And those products are created by the asset management community. So the asset managers on on the uh, more passive side of the world uh, create index funds. When you look at the 3 million indexes out there, you can obviously see most of that is for benchmarking purposes, not for the creation of products by asset managers. A key phrase there was putting numbers around ESG. Remember that. It's pretty much the theme of the survey findings. And we will get to those. I mean, that's why we're here. But first... I initially became involved in the, you know, in the proposal probably last October, November. Um, at that time, I was talking to Opinium, uh, the leading market research agency, and they had just received uh, this uh, proposal from the Index Industry Association to to do some kind of survey looking at the role of ESG uh, investment and, and the views of ESG asset managers. That voice is our second guest today, 
I'm Mark Purdy. I'm the managing director of Purdy and Associates, which is a company focusing on economics and technology research. Uh, I was chief economist uh, of a major management consultancy for 20 years. I've looked a lot at ESG. I also write a lot about next wave technologies, uh, especially AI and machine learning. Uh, and I work with a variety of clients on these topics. So, in, in terms of the survey itself, um, Opinion surveyed uh, 300 um, asset managers uh, across the US, UK, uh, Germany and France. Um, and they had sort of different roles, so some were chief investment officers, uh, some were chief financial officers, some were uh, portfolio managers. And there were also organizations ranging in, in size. So some were very large funds, some medium sized, some, some smaller uh, funds as well. And there were also kind of a mix of kind of passive and, and active uh, funds uh, as well. So we, want, we wanted to make sure that we had a good degree of diversity in terms of the sample base. So we could look at this issue of ESG investment from all sorts of uh, different angles. That sounds like a wise approach if you're going to account for this sudden shift forward. Yes, well, it seems like a sudden shift, you know, or a sudden lurch forward in, in ESG investing. Um, and certainly the recent growth in ESG funding, uh, you know, has been astonishing. But actually, I think if you take a longer term view, you know, the, the momentum behind ESG has actually been building for quite some time. I mean, probably 20 years or more. You know, I think there, there, are, there are a few different factors that are now bringing us to a kind of a tipping point. You know, I think one is people are beginning to sort of rethink a little bit the role of the of the corporation you know the, the kind of the traditional view you know used to be that businesses are just there to make profits i think increasingly we now recognize that businesses also have responsibility to deal with you know a whole set of externalities you know around sort of pollution uh, around sort of resource depletion around sort of climate change and that, you know i think increasingly a lot of businesses see that in finding solutions to some of these issues, they can create value both for businesses and society. So I think that's kind of one of the things that sort of changed. Historically, um, investors, when they thought about ESG investing, they were very mostly focused on what is called as faith-based investing or ethically conscious investing. Guest number three. So my name is Raman Ailu Subramaniyats. I'm part of MSCI research department. I head the, the global solutions research team for MSCI. And the idea was probably not go into certain sectors or certain stocks, which they didn't have a, a view upon, um, maybe a, a bad view, in fact. And so most of the investing was done via negative screens. Now, as the investment processes evolved, investors have started to think ESG in a broader sense. They're saying that can a, a better portfolio for the world can also be better for the investors. And that's where um, newer dimension of ESG investing serves come in. And here the financial materiality has become very more important for investors. So today when we talk about ESG investing, yes, there is a, a segment of the investors who are still focused on what we call socially responsible investing or faith-based investing or ethically conscious investing. 
but a larger set of investors are looking at this financial materiality around the aspect of going into invest, uh, ESG investing. Um, these, uh, what, we have, what we have found the come up with is that if you look at ESG um, characteristic or ESG factors for a company, companies which are better on the ESG front tend to do better in, the, in terms of you know, managing the cash flows. They are more profitable. Uh, they are better off competing against the competition. They are less prone to systematic shocks or they also can uh, withstand any kind of event-driven risk the firm can face. So overall, ESG, um, a, a well-profiled ESG company does better than a company which is less focused on ESG in terms of you know, uh, ratings. I think there's also increasing recognition around the importance of, of what we call the circular economy, you know, the need to have a better approach to how we use resources, you know, and, and increasingly a lot of businesses are thinking about, you know, how do you recycle, how do you reuse and, and, and share uh, resources. Um, and particularly if you look at the younger generation of consumers, I mean, a lot of them, you know, they don't have cars because it's increasingly a, a kind of a sharing circular economy. But I would say that the big sort of factor is really the investor pivot which we've seen just over the last few years. Lots of great and important background there. Always important to place things in context. Now, let's get to those numbers I promised. 85% of the asset managers that sur were surveyed said that they put a high priority on ESG. When we then asked, how big is it now and where do they think that's going, and what the survey revealed is about a quarter of the portfolios now are in ESG. Within five years, they thought it would be somewhere between 40 and 45 percent. And by the end of the decade, they thought it'd be well over 50 percent. I think it's remarkable in, in some ways how uniform <laughs> uh, the support for ESG was across uh, the four, four different markets. You know, they, they in, by and large, you know, there was a lot of enthusiasm for ESG and, you know, a, a strong fault of confidence behind, behind ESG. But having said that, you know, there were some regional uh, differences, particularly with, with, with the U.S. And the U.S. is kind of interesting. I would say that in the survey, U.S. asset managers, if anything, were more bullish on, on ESG investment compared with their counterparts in, in, in Europe. So you had, for example, 94% saying ESG is a higher, very high priority, which is higher, significantly higher than the other uh, geographies. And, you know, my, my interpretation of that is that it reflects a degree of, of catch up in, in the US. You know, there's there's a lot of kind of new regulatory kind of initiatives coming on on stream. There's a lot of excitement around ESG investment in 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 the US now. So I think there's a sense among US asset managers. Okay, we we actually need to do a bit more just to, to you know to make up for for lost time and and to get on to kind of level par with with, with Europe and and the rest. So that's one sort of regional difference. The survey also pointed to the fact that when it comes to ESG, asset managers are looking beyond equities. I asked Rick about that, specifically how it's playing out in terms of product demand and product creation. I mentioned earlier that 
you know, 40% increase in the number of ESG indexes, but as a growth rate, the fixed income ESG indexes grew even faster. I mean, what, what we know from the survey results is the investors or the asset managers are craving more non-equity ESG type products because there's some data out there by Morningstar and some by ETFGI, but the Morningstar data showed that in 2020, 90% of ESG investment in the U.S. went to equities. Um, and also, I think in the fourth quarter of 2020, that you know, 68% of European ESG investment went into equities. It really helped focus the issue for us on if investors believe and want to invest you know, along the lines of ESG, why wouldn't they want to do it in multiple asset classes? It's not just necessarily uh, an equity issue. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be a, a, an important piece of the innovation puzzle going forward. Definitely a lot of things are happening on the fixed income side, especially on the corporate bond side, um, where we, a research clearly shows that ESG add value beyond credit ratings. So uh, these measures can, if you are a credit analyst, you're looking for creating a better corporate bond portfolio, then you, you, can, you can really, the ESG can really help you to mitigate some of the downside risk. You can also look for, you know, there is a, a going towards this cleaner technology, a lot of you know, green bond issuance is happening or social bond issuance is happening. That's where the ESG comes in. So that's where ESG data can provide that insights for people who are investing in those um, a pool of assets. Now, when you go beyond um, uh, equities and fixed income, where most of the action is taking place, we do believe that private equ equities and, and private real estate and other private assets is where more um, information is required. You can easily extend the robustness of the methodology for listed equities into private equity space, even the real estate investment trust, which are profiled on the ESG, their methodology can be extended into a private real estate place. The only place which, which one challenge which we see is that availability of the data. So I will say that eventually, if you are a, a investor, you're not going to focus just on equities and, and fixed income. You're going to take a holistic view on all the asset classes to get a better optimized portfolio. Real estate, that's a great example, especially if you are talking about climate risk. We've certainly seen a lot of research around that area. Definitely. So, so because, you know, if you look at um, a climate risk is evolving and climate risk has multiple dimensions. Um, some of the dimensions related to how uh, bad, where the assets are located. So what we saw in Houston last year or even in, in what is happening in California um, some of this uh, impact of climate change is happening on real estate portfolios. And we know geography and location are very key for uh, real estate. And, and climate change has started to impact those portfolio and impact the valuation. So ESG and climate metrics are very valuable for any of those real estate investors, uh, along with some of the financial metric and our fund. Well, this all sounds great. Large, growing interest in ESG across the globe and across asset classes, recognition that ESG metrics are valuable financial information. All's well in ESG land, I guess. One of the big findings out of the survey was that over 60% of the respondents 
pointed out to difficulties in agreement on standards. And they also, what was even higher was uh, the lack of data coming out of the corporates and uh, enabling the investors to say, truly, this is an ESG investment or not. The need for better data and, and standardization, you know, I think that really came across loud and clear uh, from the survey, you know, 63% talking about, you know, the lack of quant uh, data, you know, the need for better standardization, the need for better comparability. I mean, that was a very strong uh, finding coming out um, from the survey. So, you know, respondents tremendously positive and they see a lot of future growth, but they're also highlighting some of these potential kind of barriers that, you know, could stymie future progress. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's start with standards. So a standard allows a common language for everyone to communicate, uh, especially in the investment world. So if you are an asset manager, if you want to go at the end of the year to show that you've done better than the market, then you require a measurement of how the market has performed. So that measurement itself is a standard. Now, when we go beyond equity indexes and benchmark into the ESG space, you really want a, an objective measure. As I said before, ESG was all about faith-based investing or ethically conscious investing. That investment process has evolved. Today, it is more about financial materiality. So when we create, want to create a standard and pick solutions or kick key issues for how ESG is classified, you want to make sure that the metrics that we are using are relevant for today's investor. So yes, a lot of progress has made. Eventually, data standardization will also come, what is reported, what is captured. So we are not far away from thinking about creating ESG standards. I think that is a, it's a good sign. But again, data, data availability of data will be one thing which will be crucial for creating a transparent objective measure for investors to assess their portfolios against. Well, you know, I think the issue of data, it, it's the kind of the $64,000 sort of question really here on, on ESG. And um, I think there, there are a few problems at the moment around the current data and, and kind of rating kind of setup. I mean, the, the first is that companies currently have a lot of discretion around what they choose to report and um, and and how they report it. Um, and one of the reasons is that there's a lot of different ratings bodies out there. So you've got uh, the UN uh, Principles for Responsible uh, Investment. You've got the Sustainable Sustainability Standards Accounting Board. You've got you know, lots of others. I mean, someone estimated that there are up to 100 different organizations uh, producing uh, these ratings, and yeah, that that creates a, a number of uh, problems. I mean, one is that a lot of the data and the ratings are, aren't comparable. You know, are not easily comparable. Some are quant, some are so, so, some are qual. Um, and although there are some efforts to produce consolidation, we you know we're not really there yet. Um, it also creates a problem, you know, that I would call forum shopping, which is, you know, that that in a sense a company can can look around and choose whichever body, you know, has the standards that most suit 
you know, its preferences for reporting and and the things it wants to report. And, you know, and ideally one, one shouldn't really have that kind of situation. So so that's kind of where we are. I mean, in, in terms of where we need to get to, um, I don't think the I don't think the ultimate goal is to have just one kind of set of standards or ratings or one sort of agency. I don't think there's really a monopoly on the kind of truth when it comes to ESG. And and in fact, I think there are benefits to having several alternatives because that can promote innovation and and can ensure that you get good comparability. Um, And, you know, there, there are different ways of getting there. You know, one might be obviously consolidation another might be more uh, interoperability if you like between between the different sort of uh, ratings but i think it is sort of clear that sooner or later we we do need to get get to a kind of a a smaller kind of optimum number of ratings you know all complemented with with better data and and probably more quantitative data as well there have been improvements in the ability to collect data and some steps towards standards. The tilt towards stakeholder capitalism, which we've spoken about on previous episodes and that Mark alluded to earlier, that's led to at least the acknowledgement by companies that transparency around ESG issues is important. And more than that, in some cases, net zero commitments, for example. And some progress has come from governments, from regulators. You have laws, like in California, mandating the inclusion of women and underrepresented communities on corporate boards. You have the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, or SFDR, in the EU, which is directed toward asset managers and other market participants. How do we get there, though? Who decides how we get down from that more than 100 ratings bodies to a manageable few? I think the movement on ESG and, and more more important climate is not a, a single individual or single stakeholder issue. It's a combined issue for all the people to combine come with com- a combined solution, which is good for not an economy, but for the world. And in that sense, I think every investor, every stakeholder has a role to play. For example, government definitely has a role to play, uh, especially if you think about climate, we want to give prioritized cooperation going toward net zero operations and, and remove any incentives um, to kind of old energy and pro- prohibit any kind of free riding that can happen. If you look at investors and asset managers have a role to play, they, they definitely need to decarbonize the portfolio. Companies have their role to play because ultimately companies need to make sure that they're going, creating a sustainable uh, business model that will move them toward net zero. And finally, Citizens like you and me have to also have a role to play because we should be demanding more greener product. Now, in some legislations and some areas, regulators have taken a little bit of a leap of faith and went ahead because they think that there was not much action happening with other, other stakeholders. So that's in some extent is good. But in some other regions, people have the investors and, and, um, and other stakeholders have taken a little bit more of value than the government itself. This is uh, a, a difficult issue right now, and that is um, people are looking for answers to, you know, some of the regulators are looking for answers to help quantify, to make sure that if if an asset manager is representing themselves to be uh, an ESG asset manager, that they truly are. Um, but it's also, 
you know, once you dig down into it, it really points out this problem with the lack of data in certain areas where right now, you know, everyone has been focused on climate benchmarks and climate related uh, indexes. Um, you know, that's that I think that was very intentional. Um, clearly, it's something people have identified as a, you know, a first priority, but it's also a place where is there's better data and not every country looks at emissions the same way or reports them the same way. But at the end of the day, it's just math and you can kind of come up with some sort of standard. Unlike the climate benchmarks, there's differences of opinion on what the S really is, um, because as societal issues, there tend to be national differences, there tend to be regional differences, there also tend to be cultural differences. So there has to be a better kind of meeting of the minds of what, how to define S and how to get the data. I think it depends how old you think ESG is. I mean, you know, I've heard some people say it's in its infancy. I've heard some people say it's now mature based on how many investors there are. I mean, I I, I kind of look at it as we're kind of in the preteen years. Um, there's a lot of questioning going on. There's a lot of uh, growing pains. But I think, you know, it's those difficult preteen years that really set people up for the future because one of the keys, I believe, in ESG and the reason why it's not as easy to fill in the S and G pieces at this point in time compared to the E is if you believe that we're kind of in the preteen stage, that means there's going to be a lot of changes and a lot of changes coming quickly over the next few years. One of the messages that I like to tell people is if we're in this preteen stage, this innovation is probably going to be faster and more important than we ever have thought about it because um, once we get a little further along, I think with the, you know, with big data and with some of the AI work that's being done out there, I think you're going to see very sophisticated ESG benchmarks and data. And on top of that, I think what you'll see is people thinking about things like factor ESG, which, you know, people are just kind of imagining now, but why not? I mean, why not really get down to the specifics of what you want to, what you want to invest in and what you believe in. And continuing with your, your analogy there, if I, if I may, um, if we're looking for true change, if we're looking for looking at things differently, the parents, the regulators, governments, does not seem like that's where ESG investors are going to look to for these answers, but rather, rather within themselves, within their own, they're going to look to their peers, right? The, the, the fellow investors, perhaps even index providers have a role to play here, but wh where does that fit together? Where does this change come from? Well, and we, we surveyed for that and the asset managers loud and clear said, probably the best place for that to happen is within the asset management industry, working with their investors to figure out what they need to do and what some of this innovation may be and what, what data is missing um, rather than kind of having that top-down approach with the parents telling, telling the preteen, this is the only way that they have to do it. And the only, the only uh, answer to uh, the only answers to all the questions they have. So, it, it, the the results were very loud and clear that 
you know, don't stifle innovation, don't stifle investors thinking about this by not having enough flexibility in the regulation. On this one, Mark had a clear yes, but. It's sort of interesting from from the survey that, you know, asset managers, you know, they weren't displaying what I would call maybe the usual knee-jerk aversion to, to regulation. I mean, they, they recognized that regulation has a role. Uh, they, they trusted regulators for the most part to, to do the job, but they did have some concerns. Um, one is that they kind of felt that there was, there was a bit of a sort of a regulatory disconnect in, in the sense that, that they felt the regulators often didn't listen enough to the industry uh, about sort of uh, ESG. Um, and secondly, they sometimes felt that reg, you know, re- regulators were sort of pushing regulation before companies were, were, were ready to, to adapt. So I think regulation has a role, but you know, we have to remember that regulation will, you know, will always be somewhat backward looking, but, but by its nature, you know, it's dealing with the problems of yesterday <laughs> to, to, to some extent. And when you have something we're, like we're fighting the fighting the last law, fighting the last war, I've heard that fighting expression. the last war. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you've got something like ESG, which is not something that's fixed, you know, it's very fluid. There's all there's always new issues coming on to the ESG horizon, you know, uh, particularly on the kind of the social side that you need market mechanisms as well that are going to be able to uh, respond much more quickly. And, you know, and and one of the the kind of beauties of the the kind of the capital markets is that they can respond. They can, you know, they can pull recalcitrant companies into line much faster than any regulator can um, because they direct, you know, where the investment goes and where where the capital goes. So, you know, ultimately, I think you need a mix, um, but I think you want to you want to favour market-led mechanisms and and indexes which which kind of support that because they allow us to have a much faster response, um, it, you know, over time to to emerging ESG issues. Which brings us to the role that asset managers feel index providers can play. The survey was sponsored by the Index Industry Association, after all. And so there were questions for the asset managers like, Are there impediments in the marketplace that we can work with them together about? Are there other issues out there that we could be working with regulators about to make a much smoother market? Are the index providers providing good service? Are we doing the providing the right services in ESG? Are we are we pushing and helping in the right ways to make this more accepted globally? And 84% of the asset managers uh, trusted the index providers to to push uh, financial service uh, innovation and standards in ESG. So we were we were quite pleased with that result. Um, And Hopefully, what we what we what we take out of this is we'll continue that role is to provide independence. You know, we're we're that other set of eyes to make sure that there's a different perspective and someone else looking at this, and to make sure that we continue to provide for that innovation. I, you know, I think index providers can really be a force for innovation. 
um, because you know index providers have to look ahead. You know they have to look at these ESG issues and look at the social and the governance and say, you know, what emerging issues do we see on the horizon? And then what kind of index products and informational services do we need to create to to reflect that in the market and to help investors make these decisions? So, you know, I, I think that by actually creating new indexes, by creating new informational products, new ways of looking at the market, index providers can really be, you know, a force for for, for innovation and, and really, you know, help to sort of push investment and push investment managers in the right direction. Index providers can really be a force for codifying uh, consistent ESG standards. Um, that doesn't mean that they're they're setting them, but, you know, they're sort of leading the, the uh, discussion, uh, promoting that discussion between between asset managers, between investors, between regulators uh, and government. So I think it is very important for index providers to, you know, to continue to sort of um, lead um, that discussion. So I would say that um, the main advantage of an index team or index provider has been that processing of tons of data uh, in a very fast and quick fashion, but keeping the, all the quality checks and quality control in place. So as we go forward, we expect that um, definitely more data will come in uh, and companies will definitely start to disclose more as we go into beyond years into climate and looking for solutions there. And the role of index teams with our experience and the amount of time you spent in improving the technology and everything, bringing data science, uh, data science platforms, we will be able to extract uh, signals and information for people to take a meaningful decision on the ESG characteristic of a company. I think the biggest role of index provider is to provide and um, not only benchmark or stand this, but also bring transparency to the whole um, to aspect of ESG investing. Definitely, there is a lot of confusion in understanding what is ESG concepts are. So all the index providers, including MSCI, have come with um, objective benchmark, which captures this ESG approach of investing uh, so that they can easily differentiate between a traditional market benchmark versus a, a ESG tilter or ESG profile benchmark. So they can understand how much of you know, performance difference is coming. But eventually, um, a editorial independence is required, how the data is captured on the ESG space. Uh, index providers, because of the wealth of knowledge on managing and manipulating large chunks of data and bringing, removing the noise from that to create more transparent, objective measures, uh, whether it's benchmark or ratings, can help the investors to take a more prudent decision. Eventually, we want all of us want that um, we want to create better portfolios and better investment for the better world. And that's that's the role which I believe in the index provider can play a larger um, aspect in, in the future. And that brings us back to the investment ecosystem we spoke about before and the interactions between all the players. You know, I kind of have a saying there that is the better corporate data that's disclosed will help create better benchmarks. Those better benchmarks will help the asset managers create better products for investors. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Rick, Mark, and Raman, and to all of you for listening. You'll find the complete IIA survey results at 
indexindustry.org. Next up on Perspectives, we continue down the path of investors' need for high-quality data as they work to improve how they assess the risks that come from climate change and the transition to a carbon-free economy. We'll explore the latest climate science as well as investment strategies. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.